Welcome to episode number 70 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Mountain Weather, your source for weather in the mountains, in Jackson Hole and beyond. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash mountainweather to learn more. Thank you for joining me today for the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host. My guest today is a local community volunteer, leader, business owner, mom, and wife, Diana Waycott. Diana was born here in Jackson Hole and raised by her parents, Max and Helen, who operated the original Trapper Inn. Diana grew up in a community when people supported each other to survive, which she carries forward today through her community work and raising her boys along with her husband, Tim. Diana will share with us today what her life was like growing up here in Jackson Hole and how Jackson Hole is a different community compared to other tourist-based towns. Diana. Thanks for joining me here today for the Jackson Hole Connection. It's nice to be here, Stefan, for sure. So you have a very interesting connection to Jackson Hole. You think so? I think so, a little bit. Right now, you and your husband are the owners and operators of, drumroll? Of the, of the Lexington. <laughs> um, we have a, a little hotel here in Jackson, yes, called the Lexington Hotel and Suites. Okay. And... Who started that originally? Well, the Lexington is a name that it has had for about, oh, about eight years now. But it was started as the Trapper Motel Mm -hmm. by my parents in 1969. Although that was not the beginning of the whole hospitality tradition of this family. Um, My grandparents moved to Jackson in 1934 from Rock Springs, Wyoming. Um, And while my grandfather didn't initially start in the hospitality business, he, uh, it wasn't long. He and his brother came to Jackson um, because they loved to hunt fish. Mm -hmm. And they bought a little gas station right where the Cooter cabins are today. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, the sign of the Cooter Cabins, which I love, sits on a pad of concrete. It was actually poured in the 1930s. Huh. And the tanks were put, the the gas pumps were put on that piece of concrete. Anyway, um, the brothers came from Rock Springs. They bought this little gas station. Um, They loved to hunt and fish. Pretty soon, they were taking people hunting and fishing. And back in those days, there, there really wasn't much of accommodations in town the word hotel got started not long you know right about that time but there there just there wasn't much as far as accommodation so the guys started building cabins um in the summertime and they uh actually those logs came from shadow mountain and um with the help of mr lumley i don't know if you remember lumley drug but mr lumley helped them um, taught them kind of what logs to, to find, what logs to cut down, how to clean them up and everything. And he basically taught them how to build these cabins. And over the course of just a couple of years, they built around 35 cabins. And so they had the gas station and the cabins, and they took people hunting and fishing. They both started families right about that time. They both named their kids after themselves. How, how <laughs> narcissistic. <laughs> Um, Maybe that's what you did back then. You know, everybody, they might, I don't, I don't get that personally, but, um, so 
yeah, the two the two brothers and the and both the families actually grew up in that big house in the back. That's still there today. Really? Yeah. Okay. That big old house in the back of Cooter's cabins. And um, to make a very long and complicated story short, when my grandfather, who was one of the brothers, passed away pretty young, and he was 50, I think he was 56, 57 when he passed away, mm-hmm. my dad was of the age, um, he had just married my mom, and they were really interested in coming back to Jackson. And so my dad was going to buy out his uncle, the other half of the property. And Joe Cooter Sr. was known to be a man who had a certain disposition. He wasn't a very super friendly man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was known to walk around with a pistol in his, in his belt in case anybody was on the property that shouldn't be. But he, dad and mom came from Denver and they um, were going to buy the place and the very last minute joe changed his mind okay and dad ended up selling their half to joe mm-hmm. and so that's really kind of the separation of the of the two sides of the street because everyone always is always wants to ask me if i'm still involved with the cooter cabins and sadly i'm not but my folks came across the street and bought nine little units from old man whitlock i think that's the only name i ever heard <laughs> they spent that next winter getting those nine rooms ready. My dad worked out at the tram mm-hmm. in the wintertime, and my mom was a nurse. And they bought those nine units and slowly but surely kind of got them all ready to go. And um, they started the Trapper Motel back then. One of the reasons How they called cool. it the Trapper was, I think this is such a neat part, they... One of the reasons they called it the Trapper is because they had all of these old traps and all of these old antiques. Because my grandfather, being the Cooter cabins, sit right next to Bridger Teton National Forest. Uh-huh. And back when they were first getting started is when a lot of the national park was being cleaned up of traps. Because, you know, this that's Jackson's famous for. Davy Jackson was a trapper, right? Uh-huh. And this valley was, that's that's why people were here, was to trap. And so Grand Teton National Park forms, thanks to the gift from the Rockefellers, and they, and the, the newly minted rangers, forest guys, are picking up all these traps and bringing them back to the Forest Service grounds, and they're melting them down. Huh. My dad says he remembers piles of them, and they were putting them in these huge vats, and they were melting them down. And my grandfather was over there going, Wait a minute, man. Those, that's history. Don't get rid of all of it. So these traps were just strewn all over the park. They were all over the park, and they were. And every huh. time they were going out, you know, they'd collect them, bring them back. And so my grandfather talked them out of a bunch of them. And so my dad had these, and they are they're really unique. A lot of them are handmade. Uh huh. They weren't they weren't the irregular O'Neills. They had some that. You know, they had real working ones and just a lot of really fascinating artifacts from the park well before, you know, back when it was the trapping lands that it was. I always thought that was really interesting. So we still have a lot of that stuff, and that's why they called it the Trapper, because they put it, that stuff up on the walls. Neat. And people came from all over to see those things. Huh. It's really fun. It was a lot of fun. So on your walls now... Mm-hmm. I've seen some traps in there. Yep. Are they some of those that yep. your grandfather had exactly. collected and your As a fact, dad they are, used? Yeah. And my mother's family was from Nebraska, and she had a whole bunch of 
um, stuff from her grandparents. So there's some things from a far, an old farm in Nebraska. One of the cool things we have is, um, you know, back in the day, they took wagon, still took wagon trains over Teton Pass, mm-hmm. right? And so they still had to deal with the snow, of course, even way back then. And what they would do is they would drill a hole into the snow mm-hmm. and put and stuff dynamite down into that hole. Well, I have one of those big crank drills. It's about 10 feet long, and it has just a bit of a handle on the end of it. And you just turn it, and it drills into snow. Mm-hmm. And then they would slide. It's about the size of dy- the size of dynamite, and then they'd slide dynamite in, light the one on the end, and blow the, the, the snow that had slid down and was in the way of the road. No kidding. Yeah. So that was to remove the avalanche. To break up the avalanche so that they could get through. Huh. I don't know. And this is, so this is the time of your parents or your grandparents had these from the 30s? This is my grandparents had okay. this stuff from the 30s. Neat. And my parents were the ones, though, that fi- who put it up on a wall and, you know, kind of, uh-huh. actually, we still have some school kids come by to check out, you know, the old, the old stuff. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So when do you think that people stopped taking the, the wagons, the oh horse-drawn goodness. wagons off over the pass? You mean, or, re- or when they really kind of cultivated that, that path so a... Automobile. Automobile yeah. could get through. I have no idea. You know, we see all those old pictures. The museum yeah. has, uh, the Historical Society has such amazing photographs uh-huh. of, you know, of those old Model Ts trying to go up and over the pass. Yeah. That are just I so heard cool. a story once where for the braking system for those wagons, at times they would drag a tree. A tree or like a big and or, and and they would I've heard that too. And they'd like cut the tree so that the bigger branches would uh-huh. kind of almost act as um instead of it lo- rolling, it would yeah, anchor it. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too. I've heard that too, but I've also heard so many accidents happening, you know, people getting there were dad talked about even people when he was a kid um, that, you know, lost a limb from various things, you know, whether it was trying to work the farm equipment around here. Mm-hmm. That always amazed me. You know, dad talks a lot about the fact that even the family even had quite a bit of problems trying to keep the elk out of the yard because they would come. They they'd be starving. Right? Mm-hmm. They're really hungry. And, you know, everybody in town had hay for their horses or their cows or their pigs. And my dad always tells the story that that's the original reason for the elk refuge. That fence uh-huh. was to keep the elk out of town. Okay. It wasn't to keep the, you know, it wasn't to keep provide the some there. sort of refuge for the animals. <laughs> it was just to keep them out of their food stores. Uh-huh. But yeah, that, you know, back in those days, that it's amazing how people survive those winters you know not being able to get out of the valley how did you get supplies you know you really had to although i'll tell you last week i met a man who is still doing this gap poochie do you know gap oh i do know gap i'm working on getting him are you oh my god stories like you wouldn't believe but i i just talked to gap and he just recently broke his leg yes and i took some food up to him and i said so can i get to the house and he goes oh hell no (laughs) he goes it snowed i'm snowed in until spring I said, you're kidding me. He goes, oh, yeah. I got, I got, my, I got my pantry all, all mm-hmm. stocked up. 
just like they used to back in the day. He he told me a story where he found out about his first daughter being born because he was he's a guy. Yeah, he was out in the. He out. was always out there with Crystal Creek Outfitters, and there was a plane that flew over and dropped a bottle with a note and said, "You have a daughter," <laughs> and that's how he found out that he had a daughter. He knew oh, his wife was man. pregnant, but yeah. he had to go to work. Mm-hmm. There, there was no other choice right. back then, right? Because. If you didn't, if he didn't take his people out, he didn't make his money for the year. Right, exactly. And it, as it was, right, so seasonal back then. I mean, we think it's seasonal now, but we've got two months maybe. Back then, they had, you know, they had three months of mm-hmm. work, and then they all hunkered down. That's right. That's crazy. That's so, crazy. so you were born and raised here. I was born and raised here. You know, so my I told you my dad started at the worked out the ski area uh-huh. ski area started the year i was born in 1965 okay that that i think it was actually 64 65 that winter and my dad started working in the winter of 65 66 and again you know that was such a pioneering effort i can remember the work those guys did up on the tram um you know they frequently took chainsaws and axes with them because Things would be, you know, would have to be cleared that next morning because of high winds. It was, it was a very, it was a very rough and it was a very rough job. My dad's best friend was, fell off the top of the tram, was killed. No way. Yeah. While he, I was moving? While I was moving. He was working. He was, he was, um, they were checking the slack cables. Uh-huh. Um, I don't even remember. Do you remember back in the day they had these big red V's that it was like a steel V and it held the slacking okay. cable as the as the um, cars passed each other. Uh huh. And um, Bob was on top of the tram and didn't have a safety belt on. Uh oh. Back in those days, I'm, I think it was probably a rope that they. I bet OSHA didn't exist back then. Not at all. <laughs> we would have to Google that, wouldn't we? Yes, we would. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, he was hit by one of the slackers, the cable slackers, and fell to his death. But that was, I mean, I'm not saying the deaths happened all the time, but it was not like everyone was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. It was like, wow, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we need to change some things about how we we keep ourselves safe. But, you know, it I don't know, it's always been a very wild and crazy place, whether you were, you know, trying to start a new business um, or whether you were working out at the ski area, it all it all took a lot of work. And and you've hit on two things here. One, you mentioned ha- off season, like right now, it's like two, maybe four months. But back then, it was from Labor Day to Memorial Day. Exactly, was off season and starting a business or doing whatever. So so give some clarity. What would it have been like? When you were growing up, if somebody went to go start a business, well, you know it's interesting because we we always had people who were starting up little restaurants. Uh huh. You know, when I this is kind of dating him, but I was a girl when Ned Brown started up um, the Blue Lion. Okay. And Ned was one of the ski patrollers, right? Okay. Was he? Oh yeah, huh. he worked out the village, and so when Ned opened up that place, of course, all of his friends came. Every, I mean. That's how you made it through the season because people supported each other. 
you know, we only had one grocery store. Fred's <laughs> was the grocery store. And the Houchins, you know, they, everybody, you know, just, I don't know. I, I think there was definitely a very much a sense of community and, and making sure and trying to help each other get through those off seasons. You know, whether it was sometimes helping out with meals or, you know, helping out with side jobs. It seems like my dad always had somebody helping with a side job. Always. At the motel. Yeah. Yeah. People who just, you know, they were had a... They just need something to do. They needed, yeah, some way to keep going. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I've heard stories of when people growing up here, and now we're very... We we have a lot of, um, I guess, luxuries in some ways. You go to the grocery store and you might find eight to a dozen different apples. Right. But growing up, there would be... Not just an apple, but one type of apple. It's like it's not like you got to choose from two or three different apples or eight different apples. The one I remember so much was my mom being so excited about the navel oranges, right about you know for in the winter time when the navel oranges would show up because uh-huh. you couldn't get those at all. It was kind of like and and whenever we went to Idaho Falls or Salt Lake City, that's what we did is we always brought back produce because you couldn't get it here. We were very much the end of the line for the trucks. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, well, the roads weren't the same either back then. It wasn't even very long ago when they, remember when we had the mudslide across um, the canyon? The canyon. Yeah. How long was the road closed? About two months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that could happen now? Well, let's, yeah, because let's see, when Pete told me that when, it, I remember when it, it slid, and that was probably in the past five years. Oh, it's been longer than five, for sure. Has it? Yeah. But he said, well, back in so-and-so, when we were here, it slid too. And one, they had Dog to Dog Creek, right there, yeah. where that one, when that one slid, Dog Creek has always slid. Well, has it? But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what he was saying, what they had to do, the white dot had to do is, one, they had to wait for it to stop sliding. So it's Mother Nature. <laughs> it is. But you got to wonder, too, if nowadays that they wouldn't have somebody just constantly clearing it out and down to one road, you know, switching over. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess the I guess the big thing, I feel like we didn't take ourselves so seriously back then. You know, it wasn't about these very expensive houses and the, you know, the people that needed to come and go. You know, everybody realized that the pass might be closed for a week or two. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it you didn't want to go down the canyon because it was a ribbon of death trying to go <laughs> along that river. I'm serious. I can remember so, all you know, when I was a kid, it was just like, we're, you know, we're here for the winter because this is where, you know, you, you just didn't go out on those roads. So as, as kids, what would you guys do for entertainment? <laughs> what would the parents do to keep all of these kids well, occupied? You know, First of all, I did not have one snow day my entire time I went to school here. Not one day. And probably no days when it was too cold to walk to school either. No, no, never did they close school because of the weather. Well, I should take that back. I should definitely because I remember when it was that time when it was 65 below. Everybody talks about it. I can never remember what year that was. I think it was like 73, 74. And we had electrical lines come unspliced. Uh And we had, you know, we lost power for, I can't remember if it was like 48 hours. And everybody hunkered down at somebody's house who had a fireplace for sure. And we must not. Actually, I think that was over the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we missed school at all. Darn. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, back then, I don't know. 
I can remember going sledding all the time. Mm-hmm. We were constantly trying to find some place to chuck ourselves down a hill. And, oh, man, I can remember getting in some pretty serious trouble trying to take my runner sled down the pass. Oh, you got to tell a story. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, who who well, were you in trouble with? Well, so they had – so it was kind of – it was kind of infamous if the pass closed then everyone would kind of try and hike up there because there were no cars and Mm -hmm. you get to take your runner sled down because those things on ice with just a little bit of weight on them would fly like a bullet oh it was so much fun (laughs) and you could totally you could steer them Uh but what was funny was when we started talking about doing it my dad caught us in the garage trying to get the sleds out and it was late Uh uh-huh he he brought he came up to me and he goes, "You don't want the plastic shit? <laughs> Here, try this one." And he gave me his old runner sled, which right now is over at the fireplace at the hotel. Awesome. And that thing was crazy. And so what you do is, back then they would close the pass right, and they'd put they just put up a couple of almost sawhorses, one of the big long sawhorses up. There was uh-huh. no big gate. No flashing lights. No flashing lights. <laughs> So you could get around it, right? And we'd throw chains on the back of a truck and we'd throw everybody in the back of the pickup. And you'd drive up most of the way up the pass. Actually, right about um, Phillips. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And everybody would pile out and we'd try not to all go at once because every once in a while you would see the sheriff's department coming up. You need a and spotter. And you'd have to chuck. <laughs> You chuck the runner sled over the embankment and you try and run up the embankment, which Mm -hmm. the only reason we were up there was because the embankments were 10 feet tall and you didn't have any worry of slight, you know, flying off on your sled. But, oh, my God, it was crazy. Any helmets? Helmets. (laughs) There was no such thing as a helmet. No such thing. Seriously. I don't don't, Any high tech gear here? (laughs) No Gore-Tex. No Patagonia. No windbreaker, windstopper. Oh, you had your Sorels, of course. Uh huh. Sorels were Sorels, and yeah, no. Probably just wool clothes. <laughs> oh come on, I'm not that old. No, no. <laughs> you had some. You had. You definitely had some waterproof gear back then. You know, back then it was more the um of a waxed nylon. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you got it too close to a flame, the wax would start melting. The cat jacket would catch on fire. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Well, there's plenty of snow. Just go right outside. Yeah, exactly. No, no. I had a lot of good gear. But you know what was funny back then was you had a pair of skis. Uh-huh. You know, my kids have four pairs of skis, five pairs of skis now, it seems like. You know. Did you race with the ski club? I did not. Okay. You know, it's funny. And I actually, I knew the ski club was always around later on. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I actually said something to my father after um, I started having children. And I was like, you know. How come I never, you, I was never on the ski club. I never even contemplated it. First of all, my dad worked at the village, so we weren't spending a lot of time on Snow King. Mm-hmm. I learned to ski there initially because just like now, they had a program in school where you got to go, You, if you wanted to, you got to go on Fridays. It seems like it was every week. I'm sure it couldn't have been that often. But And you went to ski lessons on Snow King. Cool. And Bill Briggs taught me how to ski. I remember it vividly. As a matter of fact, I can even remember him talking about his adventures and places he was skiing. But the thing, let's see, what were we we were talking about? 
skiing. Uh, you being a part of ski club. Oh, ski club. Mm-hmm. And my father said, have you ever seen how fast those kids go? I don't want you to get hurt. <laughs> oh, that's what? sweet. Right, right. Yeah, I know. It was sweet. He was protecting his little girl. Yeah, protecting me. So instead, uh-huh. instead I grew up in the tram box. Okay. Okay. And he so gave you his sled. instead of going fast, <laughs> I instead, there is a great guy out there who's a ski patroller. His name was Goldie back in the day. Uh-huh. I'm sure he doesn't go by that nickname Is anymore. he still around, Goldie? I'm, I'm is he pretty still sure valley? Goldie's still okay. around, yeah. All right. But Goldie took me on my first sojourn down Corbett's Coolar. No kidding. When I was 11 years old. <laughs> when my dad found out, I think he tried to have Goldie fired. Uh-huh. Um, but <laughs> no, I never ski, I never raced, but um, dad let me loose on that mountain instead. And That's a big mountain to be let loose on. Yeah, it was especially much with more no cell phones, right? No cell phones. I think mm-hmm. about it today. I'm like, oh, I let my kids ski out there as long <laughs> as they have their cell phone on them. But now, yeah, back in the day, as a matter of fact, you know, I I can remember too losing people on the mountain. People would die every year. One of the things my dad always worried about, and actually almost got one of my girlfriends, was falling into a tree well. Oh yes, and not yeah. being able to get out, suffocating, mm-hmm. and in that sort of scenario, that always always worried him. Why don't you explain to to folks what a tree well is oh, in the right. ski season? Well, you know, if you when we get a lot of snow in Jackson Hole, and we we do tend to get a bit of snow, mm-hmm. um, the you know the the area below the trees is, is the snow is so deep. Um, you'll get you know you can easily get four or five, even six feet around falling, and then around a tree, it doesn't really the snow doesn't fall near the um, trunk so you can have this really deep well mm-hmm. of no snow and if you fall into that with skis on and unable to push yourself out you know you've got your head under the snow or whatever just getting out of that trying to get your skis off is incredibly difficult especially if you don't have your poles and it'll suck you right in sucks you right in and mm-hmm. you can't get out yeah and it's always at the end of the day <laughs> it seems like <laughs> All the bad stuff happens at the end of the day. When you're saying, well, just one last run, maybe the other one should have been your last run. Well, that was one of the things my dad loved to talk about was the rescues and the things they did up on the tram. It was amazing how many times the whole crew, the ski patrollers, including, and all the people who were working on the tram would, would, you know, rally to find someone who was lost or bring or, or try getting someone down who was really hurt. There was a couple of times I can remember my dad spending all night out up on top of the tram because they, um, they had somebody that they were trying to get out of the backcountry or out, you know, that was injured and that they were coming to the top of the tram. That's where they were bringing them back to because mm. they, they were injured and they couldn't really get them down, and they needed to get them down on the tram. Hmm. Yeah, there were there were multiple occasions when he was there with someone who was injured and an EMT. I mean, those ski patrollers were, holy cow, those men are, and women are really talented. Yeah. Really talented. Unsung heroes so many often. And I think even now they have somebody, they call it the night creature. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> sure. Somebody that sleeps up there every night. But it's... It's not for the reason that your dad was up there. No. I mean, that was a very specific reason. Yeah. But yeah. um. But no, yeah, they have somebody up there. They, 
It was crazy time. But it, you know, it's not. I think the thing about Jackson Hole is not. It hasn't changed a ton. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, our kids, some people would say otherwise. You know, you probably don't understand the history that you understand. Yeah, if you understood the history of. There's never, ever been anywhere for anybody to live. There's never been anywhere to park. <laughs> the moose have always been, you know. Getting hit. Hit. Uh-huh. I mean, all my life. I can remember, I can remember, I can remember people, they were carrying picket signs on the village road to get people to slow down because so many had moose had been killed that year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always been, it's always been a problem and it's always been a big deal. And I wish I knew how they could fix it. Well, I know how they could make all those people move away. <laughs> Let the moose have it back. <laughs> now, you know, we're going to take a quick break to have a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Mountainweather.com, the go-to website in and around Jackson Hole for weather in the mountains. Founded in 1991 as a way to keep track of weather information by meteorologist Jim Wood Mincy. Mountain Weather also provides forecasting services for special events and mountaineering expeditions around the world. You know Mountain Weather Forecast is the best because it comes from someone who loves spending time in the mountains. Jim is a former Jenny Lake climbing ranger, he's an avid backcountry skier, and a mountain biker, also a certified avalanche instructor. Visit thejacksonholdconnection.com slash mountainweather to learn a whole lot more. We were talking about how little in your mind Jackson has really hasn't changed. I mean, of course, any place has growth. You were born and raised here. You've raised, you and Tim have raised your boys here. You, have, you guys have two boys. Yeah. What was it like raising two kids and running a hotel, being a wife, being a mom? Holy cow. I mean, all those things, and I all I think about is what my folks did, and it's a lot like what Tim and I did. You know, you just – I think a lot of why Jackson Hole works mm-hmm. and why so many people call – like want to call it home. And we have to say want because it's amazing how many people really can't figure out that formula because it's a tough one. But when you, when Jackson has a community, unlike a lot of areas that are tourist-based, um, and I think that when you factor in that people really desire that sense of community here and, they've, and, and they, they fight hard for it, that enables you to create a business that's not that's not it doesn't you don't get burned out as easily because there are friends who are part of your business there are um there's you know you're helping out the community or you're being repaid by the community those sorts of things get you beyond that angry tourist that um you know the lull in the tourist the um you know the constant the constant fight or the constant working through of new people coming to the valley and loving it so much that they don't want it to change but helping them understand and embrace the fact that we have to change we have to keep we have to keep looking forward we can't look back because mm-hmm. it it really when i 
when I meet a new person who's come to Jackson and they fall in love with it and they love the wildlife and they love the outdoors and they want it to stay that way or they're so happy they found a place that is still that way. Helping them also understand that the community that, that is here, that thrives here, also thrives with those same endeavors and those same passions, but with a balance too. If you truly love all the wildlife, then you need to be moving out of the valley and give the valley back to the wildlife. But if you want to stay here with them, you also have to appreciate that we're all trying to do that. And that that does mean a balance of a human's house and a few less moose. Now, I think that there's a way to appreciate the moose that we have and not beat everybody over the head because they drive their car out to Teton Village. I think that it's important to remember that there's a balance of, of using resources in this valley um, to make sure that, that people have a warm place to live, have food to eat, have a place to send their kids to school that's safe and, and, and still appreciate that wildlife. I, 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 have, I really wish people could see more of a balance of enjoying the area but yet still thriving in this area. Not everybody can move in here with a trust fund hmm. and a big house. No. And even those people that do, truly, you know, they, they're, they're not looking for someplace that's super remote. Otherwise, they'd be moving to Dubois. Mm -hmm. they, they like this community. They like all the restaurants. They like the ability to go to the Walk Festival Hall and the theater and all that. So we have to appreciate the fact that that takes people, that takes housing, that takes infrastructure, which always take, you know, it's going to take away from this utopian wildlife we have. That sort of balance has been working all my life. That, that has been, that has been the, the thing to work towards all my life. And I don't see that ending for Jackson Hole. And that's the beautiful part about it mm -hmm. is always working on that balance. We have people who are really trying hard to protect the environment, but we also have a lot of people who are trying hard to protect the people who are here and, and giving them the opportunity to do more than just wait tables. You know, that's one thing when you're 20-something, but when you are a community member that is here and, and, and has a family, not only wants to stay here, but we want those people here. Mm -hmm. we, we want a community. We want, don't just want some seasonal influx of people that um, that never really truly cares about what's going on in town. Mm -hmm. So I think that Jackson has so not changed in that respect. It's always been a struggle to live here. And I think that as soon as people realize that and kind of come together over that, we we find a, we find a better place. We find a better balance with nature. Um, we're lucky to be so close to it. But we can't. Rem we, I, I think feel very strongly that we can't forget that we still are humans. Life is hard, no matter what type of resources or current luxuries that we have may have. So look at the show Downton Abbey, and you see some certain progressions. Exactly. And you see the butler, and he's just blown away by the the toaster when it comes out. And then, my gosh, when the telephone. I mean, how could we possibly have a telephone in this house? <laughs> and isn't it going to, and it's going to ruin things. You Absolutely. Know, I'm always like, you're going to ruin those things. And so even as society develops and changes, 
we and one problem is solved, all we have is a new problem. And, and that's just with the way time is. And yes. as we as a society and people grow and develop, um, and, and like you said, Jackson Hole's always been a, a tough place to live, and it always will be. Well. And and that's one thing that I do love about it is how it is a challenge to live here. Not everything is just at our fingertips. We can do without. Yeah. We can certainly, and it gets you to think about how you can do without things. And that's exactly yeah. what they've been doing here mm-hmm. all along. For sure. And so, you know, I think that the other thing that has made Jackson much like it was when I was a kid was um, all the things to do. There's so much to do here. And mm-hmm. when I was a kid, there was always something to do, um, whether it was skiing or hiking or hunting or fishing. You know, um, it was about adventure from mm-hmm. the start. And I love the fact that Jackson is that. For my kids, I mean, my boys talk about coming home. I wanted to go to a big city, for sure. But my son right now is it's in college at Colorado State, and he's like, I just miss the adventure. Hmm. There's just a lot to do. Um, and I think, that, I think that's a bit addictive. I think you try and move out of the valley, and that's hard to find. Mm-hmm. And so it's rare to meet someone who's lived here, had to leave, chose to leave, whatever it was, doesn't want to come back. I meet so many people like, oh, yeah, I spent a year there. I spent a summer there. I always want to go back. I want to transition to a different topic if Mm -hmm. we can. So historically in the West, there was a winter storm that hit Wyoming and I think Nebraska and some other parts. And it shut the state down for several days. I mean, people had snow blowing into the to the keyholes of their house, and they had to put posts up so they could get from their ho- to their house to the barn. Did you ever hear your uncle, your great uncle or dad talk about a winter like that when they were living? Great uncles living down at Rock Springs. I don't remember anything like that. Okay. Do you know when that was? I don't. I'd have to research I it a little bit more. No. But I was just curious if... Almost like the great dust bowl kind of wind or something? In, or Indeed. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. And, and you're talking about like 10 feet of snow. People, cars were stranded almost instantaneously. They Because wow. it was just coming down so, so hard. Afraid I never heard anything oh. like that. that that's, no. that's right. I was just yeah. curious of some of the great stories that I'm sure your, your uncle... And your dad shared oh, yeah. about being around here. Well, you know, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that Jackson Hole is always kind of bred people who love living on the edge, you know, mm-hmm. living on those boundaries. Um, the people, like, you think about Bill Briggs mm-hmm. and looking up at those mountains and thinking he's going to ski that snowfield. Right. With a degenerative hip. (laughs) (laughs) If only he'd known about it was going to be. But then, you know, I mean, Bill was just one of so many. Look Mm -hmm. at the people now who, you know, that's that is their Virginia Heide Cooper. Holy cow. Yeah. Amazing woman. Mm -hmm. Really, truly. Or um, Liz McCabe. Oh, my gosh. I just or Louise Birchie. Did you have you ever heard of Louise Birch? She she and her husband 
um, started Triangle X Ranch. Ah. And she was a very, very dear friend of my grandmother's. Uh-huh. And the stories that they told, too. You know, I think what I love about Jackson the most is that when you bring those people with different backgrounds, my, you know, my family was from Rock Springs and they were all Italian. So they had this big Italian life to them. You know, everybody had to come over for food. Everybody had to make raviolis. Everybody had to go to mass. You know, it was, it, it was a, a time when you brought your, you brought your family traditions. You, you shared so you you wanted to bring that here and 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 share it with your friends. One of the truly beautiful things back then was you know the Mormon families were the, really the first to settle in Jackson, mm-hmm. but they were far from exclusive. My family was Catholic, and my dad you know talks about how you know he went to school here. He went it was a one room schoolhouse. There were eighteen kids in his first class, um, and they were all grades. And it was taught by a, a, a nice Mormon lady who, you know, they were very welcoming. Everybody needed to come and everybody brought their family traditions. It was, it was a hodgepodge that was not only welcomed that they were making their own traditions. They were made, they were, they were combining everybody together and saying, Oh my gosh, look what these guys do. Look what those guys do. And again, I was a girl, so you know I might have been a little optimistic about everything, but it felt very inclusive. Um, Halloween mm-hmm. was always a big deal at the Mormon church, and everybody in town would go to the Halloween party at the Mormon church. The Catholic church had this big sledding party, and everybody would come to go sledding. You and embraced everybody. You did, yeah. because that's that was... That's who you had. That's who you had. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And on top of it, there were, this town was just a bunch of people coming together. You know what I mean? They were, you wanted to hear somebody else's stories, Mm -hmm. right? Because you were stuck here all winter long. (laughs) You were excited to hear a new story. So I think that, again, you know, and if you look around Jackson Hole today, I think it is such an inclusive town whether we're embracing our Latino community that has become so wonderfully sharing. You know, they want to Cinco de Mayo parties and come join you know, our quinceañera. You know, I, there's something about the Valley that I think really breeds inclusiveness. Mm-hmm. And even when it's a billionaire, you know what I mean? Because you don't know who's sitting next to you, whether they're a billionaire or not. Or not. Mm-hmm. And you just want to know, did they have a good ski run? You know, did mm-hmm. you have a good day on the mountain? Did you catch any fish? You know, were you in the one fly contest? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's something about that. And I, and I have a really strong feeling that that's why you see a lot of the very wealthy come here as well. Because people treat them just like a just like regular people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. It's and awesome. That hasn't changed, and I really hope it doesn't, you know? Well, I think as long as we keep having people such as yourself in the community and be leaders in the community, that that thread and that fabric and the foundation of of our community will still exist. And uh, It means means supporting each other. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, It really does. It's knowing your neighbor, knowing when they need help, knowing when you should be going to their restaurant or their business, you know, and helping them out because we all, it's exactly, we all kind of got to get through it 
and realize that it it's it's makes for a much better much better place to live so if people would like to see some of these really cool artifacts that you have at your hotel yes what is the website of your hotel our lab, our website is lexjh.com so mm-hmm. for lexington the jackson hole lexjh.com but the best way to see it is just to walk right into the lobby sure and just past the front desk and they're all over the walls so it's very they're right there well they can go to that website book room there you go <laughs> that's right just in case anybody needs a place yeah. to stage and then they can sure. uh, see the fabulous artifacts that are there do you have an email address so somebody wanted to reach out to you if they would like to reach out to me the best Uh way to reach me is diana Uh at lexjh.com that's d-i-a-n-a at lexjh.com and they can reach me there perfect diana thank you for what you have done for this community and carrying on your family's uh, heritage and memory and being such a great business leader here. I appreciate it. Well, I'm very, very lucky to to be able to be here and be in this valley. So thank you for doing this. This is so cool. Indeed. It's been a blast. So have a great winter. Good to see you. You too. Okay. You too. Bye. To learn more about Diana and her life growing up here in Jackson Hole, please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 70. I love hearing from my listeners and subscribers. So if you have feedback or suggestions, please send an email to connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. Please remember to visit the mountainweather.com website to learn more about what's happening in your mountains. And I could not create this podcast without the help of Tana Hoffman, Michael Morey, Luke Taylor, my lovely wife, Laura Abrams, and my boys that support me all the time. So thanks for coming. Appreciate you being here, and I look forward to seeing you back the next time here on the Jackson Hole Connection.